Joining me now is Harvard Law Professor Larry Lessig. Uh, given that uh, Donald Trump's uh, last recourse appears to be the course, courts, uh, he's a perfect person to talk to at this point. Professor Lessig, uh, thank you for joining us, appreciate it. Glad to be here, Chick. All right, so let, let's get started. I think we start with the simple uh, stuff. They brought a number of cases in uh, across the country in Pennsylvania, Georgia, etc. As you see them right now, do any of the current lawsuits have any merit? <clears throat> the lawsuits are going nowhere. Um, they, they're, you know, uh, election lawyers refer to the margin of uh, uh, the lawsuit. Like, is the lawsuit going to affect the margin of victory? And none of these lawsuits are talking about numbers that could affect the margins of victory. So, this is a completely unprepared um, and uh, ultimately futile effort. It's not. Uh, it's not going to stop the count coming to some kind of resolution. The real question is what you know happens if the state legislatures start thinking about appointing another slate of electors. Then we cross into territory the country has not seen since 1876. Um, but uh, but I don't think anything's going to happen in the courts that's going to um, ultimately save this for Donald Trump. So I want to get to the slate of electors in a second because that's such an interesting topic. But on the courts, you're basically saying in the current suits that they have, we already went through the merits of them earlier in the show and they're comical and they've all been dismissed. But you're saying on top of that, even if they weren't dismissed, they involve 53 votes, 93 votes, nothing that would affect yeah. elections. <clears throat> right, I mean, they, they have no logic between the things they're complaining about and what they're hoping to achieve. Like, so, you know, the big deal that Donald Trump makes about the fact that um, uh, allegedly this doesn't even turn out to be true, but allegedly they're not allowing uh, Republican uh, uh, poll watchers to be in there with them uh, as they're, as they're um, counting votes. Um, uh, the remedy to that is just to allow them in. I mean, the Trump campaign wants to say the remedy is to stop counting um, or throw away votes. I mean, it was completely ridiculous. So <laughs> this part of the story is completely boring. There's nothing that's going to happen in the courts that's going to dislodge um, what seems to be pretty clear progression to, to Joe Biden be uh, winning easily the number of votes he needs in the Electoral College. Okay, I love that dismissal. They're not only wrong and ineffectual and have the wrong <laughs> arguments, but they're boring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so now the next step would be, all right, we lost in, in the courts, but well, before we even get to the electors, there's this weird contention that they're making. And, and one of Trump's lawyers actually, um, or lawyers for Trump, went on Lou Dobbs program last night and said, we're gonna take this to the Supreme Court and basically implied that's why we put Amy Coney Barrett on the court. But Larry, I didn't understand what they're taking to the Supreme, is there a thing they could take to the Supreme Court? Not yet. Um, you know, I think if they try this alternative slates idea, that issue is gonna get to the courts. Um, okay. And I, I think there's a pretty easy reason why they're gonna lose that. But on these counts, there's just nothing that's gonna get to the courts. There's no there's no interesting issue there. Right, okay, so what is the alternate slate of electors? So, you know, the electoral college is, is, is a fascinating thing that hardly anyone understands. And obviously we shouldn't have, and you tried to, to remedy that in some ways, and we could talk about that as well. But what in the world does an alternate slate of electors mean? Well, so this is something that Bart Gelman reported in the Atlantic um, uh, a couple months ago uh, that the Trump campaign was actually thinking that if the push comes to shove, they would get Republican legislatures to uh, 
just appoint another slate of electors from the state. So for example, in a state like Arizona, which has Republican legislature, the state has gone, uh, looks like it will go for Biden. The Republican legislature would just point another a slate of electors. And um, that slate of electors um, would then be certified by the governor. And that certified slate of electors would then uh, compete with the other slate, the slate that comes from the vote. Uh, and, the, and the problem is that the Electoral Count Act, which is the statute that governs how electoral contests like this gets resolved, basically says that if Congress can't agree which slate counts, um, which if you imagine a Republican Senate and Democratic House, is not, it, it, they're not going to agree, then it's the slate that has been signed by the governor. And so this is this kind of tricky end run, which at least potentially could have given them the opportunity um, to, to, um, to appoint these slates and, um, and to progress with them. And the basis, the grounds for doing this is an argument which you know a bunch of constitutionalists have made, um, Rehnquist made in Bush versus Gore, Kavanaugh echoed in the Wisconsin case. And now Mark Levin has embraced. And the argument is that Article 2 of the Constitution, the provision that sets up how the electors get selected, actually gives Congress, gives the states an unlimited power to select electors however they want. And that means even just to change their mind and say, we select, we said that they would be selected by an election. We're not going to select that anymore. So think of this as a kind of constitutional superpower that they think the legislatures have. And, and so the first question is, do they have that superpower? Um, and my view is um, actually because of the case that I lost in the Supreme Court, the court would say they don't have that superpower. The case, you know, we took a case up asking the question whether electors could be bound by the states or not. And um, it was pretty clear the original perspective, the originalists um, should have said, that uh, the framers of the Constitution meant for electors to be free. Um, but the court didn't say that. Nine to zero, the court said, well, you know, that might have been what things were originally, but democracy has overtaken the framers' design. And today, as Kagan said in the last uh, words of her opinion, here, comma, we the people rule. Uh, and so under that conception, uh, democracy has changed the power of electors. And I think the court would say democracy has changed the power of legislatures because the, le the framers certainly didn't want a situation where the legislatures got to pick the president. Um, they explicitly talked about that, they explicitly rejected it. So I think that if the question came to the court, the court would say, no, 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 no. You can't appoint a slate of electors through an election and then change your mind. I mean, maybe you could say we're not gonna have an election this year. But if you choose to have an election, and they pick a slate of electors, that slate is the slate for the state, and there's nothing you can do to get around it. Now, I've often said on the show, usually in regards to democratic strategy, you don't, buy, you don't win by losing, you win by winning. Well, now I'm gonna have to put an asterisk on it. And I know that you knew this going in, that you would actually ironically set up a win-win here. Uh, but by losing that Supreme Court decision, yeah. uh, you've actually protected democracy in a wonderful way. Um. Well, I mean, but let's be clear. I mean, you know, I took that case and we saw we could win on either, uh, either outcome. We thought if we won and the court said, yes, electors are free, we would see an enormous amount of efforts to try to fix that problem. And that, you know, would have led to the reform of the 
electoral college. That's obviously something that many people are fighting for. But we also saw that if we lost, um, it would create this way of saying that whatever Rehnquist thought about the electoral college, um, uh, the design of the electoral college under Article 2, that's been changed. And now we're in a position where we can say democracy rules, the people rule, you can't muck about with an election by picking another slate of electors. No, that's why people think you're brilliant. Because <laughs> that really is <laughs> well, a win. Two people win. do. My, my daughter thinks I'm brilliant. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, that's already a win. Okay, so, but I want to go back all the way to the beginning because for folks who who are not familiar with this, it, it it does get confusing. So when we talk about an alternate slate of electors, first let's talk about how the electors are normally picked. So let's take yeah. a, a state like California, Biden wins easily. How do the electors get picked? Yeah, so the so the normal rule is um, uh, federal law says that there will be a date on which the electors get appointed, and on that date there's an election, and the election is governed by in most states, all but two states, a principle called winner take all. So the winner of the um, the winner of the popular vote in that state gets all of the electors from that state, and so those electors are appointed based on what happens on elect on, on election day. Who appoints then, them? Um, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, who appoints them? Is, is it a, a, a political office? Who appoints them saying, okay, Bob and Sally, you guys are gonna go and perfunctorily vote for Biden? Yeah, so it's different in each state. But the general rule is it's usually the party. Pennsylvania has a weird rule where it says the presidential candidates just name the slate of electors. Uh, the party will select it. In some states, you'll have party elections and like local conventions. But it's basically a process to assure that um, uh, the party is nominating people they can trust to carry out the uh, the will of the election, uh, and so those electors get nominated, and then they um, they uh, they will um, uh, gather on December fourteenth this year in the um, state capitol, and they will cast their votes. And as they cast their votes, um, the electoral college. Uh, um, then gets set for that state. And when we talk about an alternative slate, what we're imagining is there's actually two rooms, one room with the Republican electors, one room with the Democratic electors. And each of them will cast their votes and there'll be a list of their votes and they'll sign them and they'll send them uh, both to Washington. Um, and so, um, so this is the thing people have been anxious about. But I actually think, so here's the good news. This is the really good news. I mean, like the legal argument's clever and I think it's right. And I think the court would ultimately do it. But it's the political argument that's the most important. There are only two states now where this could work. One state is Arizona that has a Republican legislature and a Republican governor. The other state is Georgia that has a Republican legislature and a Republican governor. Those are the only two states that could play this game. Because every other state that Biden has won either has a Democratic governor or has a Democratic legislature. So, you know, if they tried to play this game in Pennsylvania, and to their credit, the Republican legislature, legislators in Pennsylvania said, we don't think we have this power, we're not going to play this game. But if they tried to play this game, the Democratic governor would sign Joe Biden's slate of electors. And so the Democratic slate would prevail. But in Arizona and in Georgia, there's at least the potential for this game to play out. But the problem is, if Biden wins Nevada and um, Pennsylvania, uh, he doesn't need Georgia um, and um, Arizona anymore. So um, when the Republicans sort of sit back and think, are we going to play this incredibly ballsy game 
of basically saying screw you to the you know 4 million extra votes that Biden has gotten. And the fact that he clearly should have won in the electoral college. We're gonna say screw you to that. We're just gonna pick our own slate of electors and we're gonna force it through. I think they're gonna think, you know, it's a pretty high risk. And if it blows up in our face, it'll be really devastating. And if there's no way for us ultimately to win playing this game, let's just not play this game. And we're not trying to make a political point or a legal jurisprudential point. We're trying to win. And if we can't win, there's there's no reason to cause this kind of trouble. So I'm more confident today than I was two days ago after working through these numbers and like seeing how it plays out. And 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 so I think that they both would lose in the Supreme Court on this strategy. Um, but they would also lose politically. They just can't get 270 votes for Donald Trump playing this game. Right, but it is, uh, first of all, Pennsylvania and Nevada have not been called, uh, frustratingly so, but they haven't yet. And so it is still conceivable that it could come down to those two states. And I suppose it's still on the board that they could at least try to what I would characterize as steal the election, full well knowing they did not win Arizona and Georgia. And that would be the whole point of this. If they won it, they just need one slate of electors, the one that actually won. Yeah. Um, and so this strategy is specifically designed to subvert democracy. There is no yeah, other- absolutely. Yeah, there is no other purpose. And, and, and that's why it's so important that you know people like you are talking about it. Because what we have to do is inoculate the system against these games. You know, if it just kind of rolled out and they started playing this game and they started talking about the framers and you know what was intended and blah, 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 um, they might be able to get away with it. But if we build a recognition right now that number one, given what happened in the electoral case in July, this is not a fair move anymore. Even if it was a fair move, you know, a year ago, it's not a fair move now. And number two, you play this game and what you're gonna face is people who recognize you are just literally stealing the election. And you know, seven percent of America showed up because George Floyd was murdered. What percentage of America is going to show up if this election is stolen? In a context where Joe Biden wins more votes than anybody ever, gets a majority of the public, you know, um, uh, uh, and four million votes more than Donald Trump. I mean, I just think that the pressure to do the right thing here is going to be so great. And on the other side, you know, people, the politicians, just don't like Donald Trump. I mean, you know, they're afraid of him. But not anymore. Why would you be afraid of him now? Like, you know, good riddance for many of them. It's like enough waking up every morning and just wondering which tweet we have to explain or which which uh, terrible behavior we have to find a way to justify. So I think he is in a corner. And the scary thing is he realizes that, you know, he loses and he loses everything because the, the liability, uh, the debts, the um, you know, potential prosecutions, this is just gonna be a nightmare for the rest of his life. And so I, I can see why he's fighting, but I don't, I don't see his move right now. Uh, so Professor Lessig, uh, we talked about the state legislatures in this uh, maneuver and we talked about the courts. Uh, what if any is the role of the House? Yeah, so, so what happens, um, uh, so, there, so there's a couple other of these kind of weird strategies. We actually put together a, a 10 part um, podcast. Um, uh, I taught a class called Wargaming 2020 and the kids um, uh, and, and we put together this website. You can find it at EC for electoral college dash facts, F-A-Q-S dot U-S. Um, and on there, there's a podcast um, and it has 10 episodes of like every single way in which this could go sideways. So the other way this could go sideways is when Congress, you know, it's the vice president. Um, when Congress receives, let's imagine they receive multiple slates. 
And let's imagine that um, you know it's it's states where uh, you just have a Republican legislature, not necessarily a Republican governor. I mean, again, Pennsylvania said it's not going to play this game, but imagine Pennsylvania did. So Pennsylvania sends a slate of Republican electors, and the Democrats send a slate of Biden electors signed by the governor. The vice president is told in the Constitution that he's the custodian of the certificates, and he's supposed to open them. And then, and then it says in a passive voice that the votes shall then be counted. Uh, and there's always been this ambiguity by whom? Like who's supposed to be counting them? And Congress's view has been, we control this process. Congress controls this process. But there's an argument that, well, you know, basically the vice president with a divided Congress effectively controls the process. So imagine Joe, uh, imagine Vice President Pence, who will be the vice president overseeing this. Gets this two slates from Pennsylvania, one signed by the governor for Joe Biden and one the Republican slate. And Mike Pence says, you know, <clears throat> I think there was a lot of illegality in Pennsylvania. And I just think the, uh, I think the numbers were wrong and I think the Republicans won. And so I'm gonna recognize the Republican slate. Okay, now immediately there's an objection to that. And under the Electoral Count Act, he shouldn't be allowed to do that if the Democratic slates have qualified for the safe harbor provision. But the point is, there's an argument, and then uh, then uh, the houses separate and they have to vote. So the House votes. Do they uphold the objection or or, <coughs> or uphold Mike Pence? Uh, and the Senate votes. And imagine they split. So you've got one House favoring what Pence is doing and the other house opposing it. Well, in that circumstance, nobody has overruled the chair. And so Mike Pence basically gets to say, well, you know, my ruling stands, nobody's overruled it. So my ruling is Pennsylvania Republican electors get counted. <coughs> That's really the nuclear option here. And if Mike Pence plays that game, you know, it's kind of the inversion of, um, of uh, Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon, like Mike Pence plays that game. It's it's like the end of Mike Pence's career, but maybe Mike Pence thinks he has no choice because it would be the end of his career if he didn't fall in his award to help Donald Trump get reelected. Um, so to the extent people are worrying about behavior that's radically outside of what the law requires, I think they're worrying about that. And I'm kind of worried about that, but we'll have to see how the narrative develops over the next six weeks. So let's say they play that <laughs> game and they don't care about the political consequences. They think we're never gonna win another national election anyway. We might as well just cement our rule here. And technically they could do an alternate slate of electors. Pence could choose it, especially with the split Congress. So we're gonna do it. What happens then when it gets taken to the Supreme Court? <clears throat> well, there's a first really hard question whether the Supreme Court would hear that case. And the reason is there's a doctrine called the political question doctrine that says that when some you know, issue or question has been um, vested in a coordinate body, has been like committed to a coordinate body, the court won't step in and second guess them. Um, and you, know, you can be damn sure that there'll be many justices on the court who are gonna wanna say, look, we're not allowed to step in. Oh, and by the way, it turns out to elect the guy we want to be elected. So, so there's a big question of whether they would step in. Um, if they step in, um, then the question is, is this statute which governs the process, the statute that I said says that the ties go in favor of whatever governor, whatever slate the governor assigned, is that statute constitutional? There have been people who have said it's not constitutional. I think 
the Supreme Court will say it's clearly constitutional. And again, that comes from the elector case that they decided in, 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 in July. Because what the court said in that case is, to the extent this is ambiguous, you know, it's unclear, history has liquidated the question. Like we have come to an understanding of like what this process is, and that's the understanding we're going to enforce. Well, that's true here too. The Electoral Count Act was enacted in 1887 after the last really contentious fight where there were multiple slates of electors, which was in 1876. In 1876, there were four states that had multiple slates of electors, three of them in exactly the kind of circumstance we have right now. The Republicans and the Democrats each accused the other of fraud. And so they each just sent a slate of electors up. It was almost another civil war. Indeed, it was very close to an outbreak of violence that um, uh, uh, that was averted at the last minute by you know, a deal which basically condemned African Americans to another hundred years of slavery. Um, but, uh, but, but the response to that was to pass this statute, the Electoral Count Act, which has governed for the past 140 years. Um, I think the court looks at that statute and says, this is constitutional. Mike Pence, you don't have the power to ignore what the governor has done. The governor in Pennsylvania has signed the Democratic slates. It's the Democratic slate that should be counted. Again, assuming the um, Supreme Court decides wants to step in, which is a big assumption here. So unfortunately, what I'm hearing from you on that avenue is it's actually theoretically possible. Oh Yeah, I don't know, it's all, it's all theoretically possible. Mm. I'm just saying they've got to estimate, they've got to calculate how much are they willing to sacrifice. And, um, and I think they're only going to calculate is like, what happens to the nation? You know, what happens to the nation if this, this, leads to the perception of this absolutely illegal intervention that stole the election for somebody who clearly lost the election. This is not like Bush v. Gore or you know even 2016 where there's like his ambiguity, he wins one side, he loses the other side. He's lost on both sides. Like the Republicans feel entitled to have a president who wins the electoral college even if they don't win the popular vote. But nobody's ever said you're entitled to have the president if you lose in the electoral college and lose the popular vote, right? That's that's supposed to be the baseline assumption we've all had. And if they fight that on the basis of these trumped up, you know, totally fabricated charges, I, I don't know what happens. So I think you see really critical Republicans trying to to you know read the riot act to the the Trump activists and and make them recognize they're just not going to go with it. I mean, you know, Karl Rove said, you know, the idea that you would have hundreds of thousands of illegal ballots is a, is, a, is a sort of, as he said, quote, James Bond story. It's just not happened. It just is not the case. There is not this level of fraud. And if you've got Karl Rove saying that, um, and you begin to have other leaders in the Republican Party who just say this is just wrong to be besmirching, you know, the work of these local election officials by suggesting they're part of this massive fraud. I think the party begins to split. And so Mitch McConnell, of course, will do whatever he wants. He's the dark lord. And and I hope you're talking about the need for everybody to move to Georgia to make sure that those two special elections go uh, democratic <laughs> so that we can make sure he's not the majority leader. But um, Mitch McConnell may want to may say he'll do whatever it takes. But Mitch McConnell has got, you know, to get 50 uh, votes in the Senate. Um, and um, I'm sure there's more than one of those or two of those senators who are like, I'm just not going to, I mean, you know, Mitt Romney um, and uh, uh, at least one or two others. I'm not going to sacrifice the republic for Donald Trump. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so I, it's conceivably possible, absolutely. Ned Foley has a great piece in the Washington Post today pointing that out. Um, 
But um, I, you know, so far, I think we're leading towards a place where saner minds are going to say, "I'm sorry, you need to go home and and face yet another bankruptcy." Well, Professor Lessig, this started out as reassuring and ended scary. Um, <laughs> we're relying on the Republicans <laughs> to do the right thing at the end. Oh boy, sorry. Buckle up. Um. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Professor Larry Lessig from Harvard Law School. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great to talk to you, Chenk.